we're so programmed to just be like, well, you go to the gynecologist and you say, oh, I'm struggling with this pain or I think this is happening. I have really heavy bleeding. And it's just, well, let's get on the pill. And we just don't understand. We don't have the knowledge to know that it could be an underlying hormonal thing or there's there's maybe something we can do. Like it's just, it's more about feeling connected to the body. We're just so disconnected from it until we start broadening our awareness. Yeah, exactly. And I know like a lot of the times, so when you do go to the doctor, right? And they're like, okay, let's just do birth control. And so I was on birth control from the time I was 14 because they're like, oh, she started her period, put her on the pill, just make it easier. Yeah. You know, and like, you don't realize that when you do come off or I've experienced this with some of my clients, right? Like they come off birth control and they're so ready to get pregnant and it just takes a little bit, a while, right? Because your body has to almost relearn how to ovulate and relearn how to yep. do its natural functions because it's been hushed for X amount of years while you were on the pill. Hi, and welcome to the Endo Bay podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endo Bay podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endo babes. And I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Endo Babe Podcast, and welcome to the Endometriosis Empowerment Series 2021. I am so excited to share today with you. Today, we have Nina Boyce, and Nina is a certified hormone coach and Reiki practitioner that focuses on educating women to transition off birth control and really live in flow with their natural cycles to restore their fertility. She uses an intuitive eating lens to guide her clients in making nutritional and lifestyle changes that support their unique body, which as you all know, I am all for. I know everybody has a unique body. We all deserve unique healing plans. And that's one part about Nina and her coaching and her style that I love and appreciate so much. Um, you guys are going to love her. This episode, we chatted all about coming off birth control and using the fertility awareness method. And so if you aren't sure what that is, this episode is for you. So let's dive in. Welcome, Nina. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, so usually I just start off by having you kind of introduce yourself to those of you, everybody in the audience that doesn't quite know you yet and that needs to know you <laughs> um, and how you got into doing what you're doing right now. Yeah. So I've been doing this for maybe five, four, five years now. Um, I started originally when I was teaching, which is wild. I used to be a middle school choir teacher and now I'm, you know, hormone coaching full time. But I originally got into all of this because of my own struggles with uh, anxiety, burnout. My hormones got super out of whack and I, you know, was doing all the typical things, going to my doctors, trying to figure out what was going on. My anxiety really was what led me to my doctor's office because it was at this point where I was like, this, I, I literally am not functioning well anymore and I don't understand what's going on. And I was really hoping that it would be some, you know, 
there would be something in my blood work or something that would show up that would say, this is probably what's causing this. And, you know, let's get to the underlying root and fix it. But of course, um, I was just asked, you know, get on birth control again and to start anxiety meds. And for some reason, it just was not sitting well with me. I felt like there was something else going on and I wanted to figure it out. So I just did a lot of my own research, started exploring the typical route of nutrition and lifestyle modifications and started to feel a lot better. Um, And that's when I decided to get my health coaching certificate. So I did that first. But, you know, since then, I mean, in the past two, two and a half years, I've solely focused in on women's hormones and fertility. Um, And it's just been amazing. And my mind has even been blown since I started my whole nutrition journey of just how much information is out there and how bio-individual all of us are and how we have so, it's just, there's so many different ways to find your natural balance. But here I am today, I'm actually 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> um, I've been through my own story with dealing with a lot of period pain and um, trying to conceive and all of that in between too. Yeah, and I know everybody listening probably sees a little bit of them in, the, in your story as well, because I can totally relate to that, going to a doctor and like hoping that they'll have an answer for you. And they're like, mm, just take this medication, you'll be fine. Right. You know, in most of the case, that is just a Band-Aid solution, right? Yeah. Especially, uh, I know we connected because you thought you possibly had endometriosis, right? Right. I and still don't know because my my surgery was scheduled for this past September and I got pregnant in July. So I ended up canceling it, which was great. So yeah. we'll see if I end up ever having the surgery again, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it's just, well, that number one, yay, you got pregnant. That's so exciting. Yay. Um, and I don't, were you guys trying to get pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. So we were trying and it was, it wasn't going as quickly as I wanted it to. I was like, I'm the hormone person. Like I'm doing all of these things right. I should be getting pregnant so fast, you know? It didn't, I mean, and I will preface this by saying, um, if I took the whole like journey of wanting to conceive, there, it probably was around like nine or so months with a couple breaks in there while I was trying supplements and other things. But like actively trying, it was about six months. So I know that there are women that have been trying for a year, many, many years and are still struggling. So I don't want to discount that. Um, it wasn't, you know, a very, very long journey for me, but it still was hard <laughs> when I felt like I was struggling with period pain consistently every month. I was spotting. It's just like I knew things were off and I knew that's why I wasn't conceiving. Um, but we got it all figured out. <laughs> yeah. So um, what kind of like what steps did you take to kind of get that all figured out? So I ended up doing some testing, which is is what I do with my clients now. Um, but I did the hair tissue mineral analysis test, which is super cool. It's one of the more affordable tests and it just lets you know like where your mineral balance is. So where your calcium, potassium, sodium, magnesium, all these other minerals, it shows up if you have any heavy metals your liver is working on detoxing. And so we really just get to the root of replenishing and nourishing the body with what you actually need. Um, and I also did the GI map just because I was curious and I wanted to know, I did them all just cause I also wanted to learn. So I did the GI map and I did the Dutch test. I typically, I, I actually don't typically run the Dutch test with clients unless, uh, they really, really want it. But I, I did all those, got some pretty good information and then just kind of tailored some supplements for me and chilled the F out. Like that was another thing I did was just relaxed and was like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with my body. 
It's going to conceive when it wants to conceive. And I will tell you that the month I decided that I didn't care. And I think the surgery, having the surgery in September was a big part of that because I was like, whatever, I'll have the surgery. If there's endo, it'll be taken care of. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. Um, I conceived because I just, I feel like a lot of it was letting go and trusting my body at the same time. So it's a combination of things. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that um, that's so beautiful. Number one, just like that letting go. And I feel like that happens with so many other areas in our life, right? Like for like a perfect partner or like the perfect house or like anything that's going on when you have so much, you're like working so hard under like how you want it to be. Right. And when you finally just like let go nature and everything can just happen as is, you know? Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. There is something to surrender and release and, I feel like we don't prioritize that as much as we should. We focus more on the nutrition piece and the supplement piece, and we forget that there's this whole other, you know, mental, emotional area that needs to also be put into the equation. Yeah. Well, and I think it's easier to focus on those because they're tangible, right? It's like right. physical, I can see and I can do it, but it, it takes everything, you know, like the, all the little pieces of the puzzle to like make mm-hmm. things work the way they should. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of dive into like coming off of birth control, because I know like all of the research on endometriosis right now is pointing that it's not a hormonal disease anymore, right? It's an inflammatory disease centered around immune system dysfunction. And so all of the the old treatments, the like conventional treatments of like hormonal birth control and Lupron and all of these things have been proven to not actually do anything for endometriosis except provide symptom relief in some people. Right. Right. Um, And so if somebody is wanting to come off birth control, like what are your recommendations for that? Mm. Well, the first thing I do is I really do recommend the hair tissue mineral analysis test now because we know that the birth control pill does deplete us of important minerals, nutrients. And so I just think it's important to see where your body's at. And the thing with that is you're not taking anything crazy. Like I feel like a lot of times I will talk to women and they're taking all of these herbs and things and like a cocktail of supplements when really it's like, well, maybe we should just drink an adrenal elixir to like bring our sodium and potassium and vitamin C back and, you know, you replenish our adrenals because that's actually what's struggling or take some magnesium because we use that when we're stressed, you know, like little things like that. Um, But the biggest piece is like obviously eating foods that are going to be nourishing to your body. That's like the foundation. Um, So I definitely do focus on that highly, but I also am a huge advocate of living with the four phases of your cycle and learning fertility awareness, not just solely for birth control. But if you're struggling with any symptoms, especially with endo, we want to know like when, when are your symptoms flaring? I know some people have them all around the clock, but knowing like where in the four phases, is it triggered by rising estrogen, dropping progesterone? I mean, is it truly like you mentioned inflammatory? So we need to take a look and step back and see like what's going on there. But yeah, going back to the basics of that piece of food, just nourishing the body and then learning how to track your cycle and live with your cycle. Yeah, 100%. And I know I thought it was really really interesting that you said like, right, was it caused from like the rise in estrogen, right? Um, And I know a lot of people kind of get hooked up on the food, right? Like it was this certain food that triggered my symptoms. It was just like the shift in your hormones, right? Because we are women and we have cyclical hormones. We aren't men who have like this straight line of, I don't know what it's called, like a level. Yeah. There we go. Literally just like a solid. Yeah. They have like the same hormonal pattern every 24 hours, whereas we have it every four weeks. Like, Mm -hmm. 
But no, you're totally right. There is not one food that's going to specifically trigger any hormone imbalance. That's such a myth. I mean, unless you are lactose intolerant or you have celiac disease and your body literally has an allergic reaction to these foods, I mean, you can definitely be sensitive to them. But even then, it's always, well, why are we sensitive to them? You know, like what's going on that's causing our digestive system to not be able to digest these foods as well? Why are they causing pain? But um, totally, I see hormone fluctuations trigger so much in women. They're like the drop in them before the period. That's why we feel all those PMS symptoms sometimes or the spotting or the cramping. And we just get curious about that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so for somebody who like doesn't track their cycle, right? And they're like, okay, well, how do I even start doing that? How, what would you recommend for that? The first thing I would do would be to get yourself a good basal body thermometer. And that is not the same as just getting a standard thermometer at like Target. It has to be basal body temperature. It tracks to the 10th degree. So like 97.54, you know, instead of 97.5. But I would get one that syncs up to an app. That way you can keep track of your information in there. But always remember too that that's just like one piece of the puzzle, one habit to start is taking your basal body temperature. The other more important piece is learning about cervical mucus, which is like what I talk about all the time. Um, Because that is actually what's going to tell you if you're fertile or not. And even if you're tracking your basal body temperature religiously every day, you're putting it in your app and your app is telling you when, when it thinks you're fertile, it's not, it's not accurate. So you definitely have to have both pieces. Um, but that, that's always my first step is like do that or, you know, get taking charge of your fertility and get the fifth vital sign or listen to podcasts and just start learning about fertility awareness method and then start slowly implementing it. Yeah. For somebody that has no clue what cervical mucus is, will you explain that? (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. It's such a gross word. I know like mucus can be such a like weird word for people. It does sound gross, but I I say it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not gross. (laughs) We all have it. Um, So cervical mucus is stimulated by rising estrogen in the body. So after you end your period, um, as estrogen starts ramping up, you will start to hopefully see CM. And medium levels of CM trigger a specific type. We call it non-peak. It has various different qualities to it. Um, And I can go into detail later if you want. And then when estrogen peaks and and is rising, we have our peak cervical mucus. And that is usually right around the time of ovulation. Um, So CM equals fertile. That's basically like when you're fertile, you should see CM or you should feel it or whatever. Um, On your dry days, they're most likely non-fertile. So there are like intricacies that you learn with your own body, but really like when it breaks down to it, it's like when you're in your fertile window, you're experiencing the CM, you're fertile, you're about to ovulate somewhere around the corner. Yeah. And I think um, we might blow somebody's mind right now, but you can only get pregnant for like five-ish days. You're only like fertile for like five-ish days, right? Around every single yeah. day. Yeah. So it it's like really between the average is four to six days. Um, and then of course we give ourselves grace days. So even like after ovulation, we think ovulation has happened, that egg can live for about 24 hours after ovulation. So we give ourselves a couple days just to confirm. And so we stretch it a bit just to, if you're trying to avoid, we really want to make sure. Um, 
The other thing is, you know, some women's bodies, especially if they're having issues with estrogen, they're having fluctuations, they can have a pretty long fertile window. It doesn't mean they're actually fertile that whole time. It's just we're not quite sure when they're going to ovulate. So some of them, their estrogen will start rising. They'll start experiencing non-peak, but then maybe it drops back down and then they have dry days again. And then it starts to ramp back up. And so sometimes you just have to be careful because we're not quite sure exactly when ovulation is going to happen until after it's happened. But in, I would say the average is like a four to six day sort of uh, fertile window. Cool. And I think, um, I know like somebody listening to this is probably like, okay, well, you guys are talking a lot about fertility awareness method. What even is that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we sure. Do. Let's dive yeah, in. It. Let's dive in. <laughs> Um, a fertility awareness is really just a natural way of achieving pregnancy or avoiding pregnancy by learning your biological signs. And that is through tracking cervical mucus and basal body temperature is actually an extra sign. Like you don't even have to use it. I personally do just because I think it's super helpful. Um, but that's really what it comes down to is like learning about your cycle, avoiding or achieving pregnancy naturally. And, you know, no hormones, no anything. But I want to clarify that fertility awareness method is different than the calendar method or the rhythm method or just tracking your cycle in an app. So sometimes people get confused. They're like, oh, I do that. I use my app. I track my cycle every month. Well, if you're not actually using your cervical mucus clues and you're relying on what your app says, then you're using what's more called the rhythm method, which is just assuming you ovulate around the same day every month and that your cycle is about the same length every month. And for some women, it it ends up working because they really are roughly around the same time, but it's just, it's not reliable because you never know when your body is going to fluctuate. Like everybody's body is sensitive. So it's, it could fluctuate because of travel, because of stress, because of a food shift, oh, exercise routine. I mean, we never know. So yeah, there are, there's a big difference with that. Yeah. So actually like tracking your cervical mucus and like your basal body temperature and using those in a, like, what would you use? Like Kendara? Is that how you I, so I use paper charting with my clients and then I let them use whatever app. Like a lot of times um, I recommend Femimeter because it's a super cheap thermometer and the app is fine. There's a new app called Temp, um, not Temp Drop, uh, Know Your Body. That is fantastic. Um, Kendara is also, it's a great one. The only thing with Kendara is they have some cervical mucus um, descriptors that we don't typically use, or at least that I wasn't trained to use. Like we don't really use the word wet, which I know is in there. And there's a couple other ones and I think it can get a little confusing, but I know a lot of people like Kendara. I just don't personally use that one. Yeah. I mean, so there are lots of options out there. Totally. Uh, What are the different like stages of the cervical mucus or types of cervical mucus? So I am trained in the FEM method. And so we really break them down into three different types. So there's the first one is G mucus, um, and that is non-fertile and it's produced by progesterone. So after you ovulate, when your body's producing progesterone, you have this very like thick, dense uh, CM that blocks up the bottom of your cervix. It actually prevents sperm from getting through, even though you can't get pregnant after you ovulate, but it does. It blocks any sperm from getting up through the cervix. It's like antimicrobial, so it helps protect you from bacteria. Um, And so that's the first type. And some women notice 
that after like they have their period, it'll start to break down. And so sometimes they see this very dry, um, again, scant, like not very much of it. Something is there, kind of crumbly type of CM. And that can be a sign that your fertile window may be around the corner because the cervix is being stimulated. Things are starting to break down. It could also be that your cervix is just cleansing, you know, after your period. But that's the first type. And then we move into EL, which is our non-peak. And that, again, is stimulated by medium levels of estrogen. And that one, really the only descriptive word we use for that is moist, which is another gross word. Oh, I hate that word. I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but it does have more of a moist quality to it um, as opposed to the G mucus, which is dry. But that one can have various visual qualities because it it mixes with G mucus. So, you know, a lot of times people will say it looks creamy, right? Like that is a very, a common one. Um, but it can also look like tacky or glue-like or really what you need to know is, does it feel moist? I'm going to say the word again. And if it stretches a little bit, that is another sign that it's going to be your non-peak or EL. G mucus won't stretch. So, those two types. And then as we move forward and estrogen is rising and peaking, we get ES. And that is very clear, stringy, lubricative, uh, feels slippery when you're wiping. A lot of people identify it as looking like egg white or snot or something like that. Um, but I feel like most women are like, yes, I do know. I do know what that one is. Um, so those three types. But either or, if you're experiencing EL or ES, you are fertile and sperm can live in that environment for up to five days. So important to know. Yeah, very, very important to know. And I know, um, right, like it's kind of acts as like a, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Never mind. No, no, I know what you're trying to say. It's like a, um, um, a highway. It's like a highway for sperm. And it that so ES is literally like the perfect pH and nourishment and um, fluidity to just get the sperm up through the cervix the way that it's supposed to. And what's cool is EL that one like traps malfunction sperm. It's kind of like the policeman that's like, okay, like you're fit to go, you're not so great. Like they each have their own special qualities. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's actually really cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Amazing. So fertility awareness method, it's obviously like a non-hormonal birth control method, a method to prevent birth or to help you get pregnant, right? Yeah. Um, what, what do you find are like the barriers of people that like stop people from trying mm -hmm. it, I guess? I think a lot of people think it's too hard. So they're like, oh, no, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't pay attention to that. And even when I'm talking about it, it might sound like, whoa, like, what is all this stuff? But really, once you start applying it to your own life, it becomes a lot easier. And you realize, you see what we're talking about in real time, right? You're like, oh, I'm experiencing this now. Um, and it only takes truly, like, every time you go to the bathroom, you just build the habit of observing. Like, what's on my toilet paper? What do I see in my underwear? How does it feel when I'm wiping? And it becomes second nature. Imagine if we were to have learned these things when we were little, you know, like everyone's like, 
white front to back, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, if we just were taught to also observe what we're seeing and not think it's weird or dirty or gross or any of that. Um, so I think people think it's going to be hard or they just don't trust it because we are so brainwashed to think we can get pregnant whenever we have sex. Yeah. So it just feels easier to just not have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, I really think those are the two barriers to it. And then also, you know, sometimes working with somebody, it does make identifying your CM patterns easier. And if you have a hormone imbalance or PCOS or something, or you're not ovulating regularly, it can be a little bit difficult. So in that case, you know, you always, there's so much support out there to help you learn what's going on with your body. Yeah, exactly. Man, wouldn't it be amazing if we we were taught like so many things when we were growing up, right? Because it is true. Like they teach you, like, don't look at boys, you'll get pregnant. Don't let them touch your shoulders. Don't let them like do anything to you. You will get pregnant. (laughs) And it's just not like that. Like so many women are on birth control for, I was on it from age 14 to 27, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. just like something I was like, I thought I had to do so I wouldn't get pregnant. And Exactly. That's not the case, you know? And so if somebody, like, if you're listening to this and you're, like, scared to come off of birth control because you're scared you're going to get pregnant, like, just know that that's not necessarily most of the time going to be the case, you know? Yeah. I was excited freshman year of college to get on birth control. I was like, yes. Like, I, it's my time. I'm going to get on birth control. Now I'm, I'm being safe and all of that. But um, I had no idea. Like, I, I honestly, it wasn't until I was doing this work as a hormone coach that I even learned the intricacies of pregnancy and like when you can actually get pregnant. And so I even know women that I'm working with will confirm ovulation. Like we're like, you've ovulated, that temp has spiked, you've gone back to dry days, like you are in the clear. And there's still that underlying fear because we've been brainwashed for so long. Like, I don't know, but I mean, you biologically, scientifically cannot get pregnant after you ovulate. So it only happens once a cycle. Right. So this is, I mean, this is fascinating. And I know I agree. Like I didn't learn any of this until I started coaching, right? And like learning and diving into like my own health and taking my health into my own hands. And it's just the misinformation out there is so nuts, Mm -hmm. you know, but it can feel so empowering when you do start to go down this like journey. And so like... Nina was saying, like, if you do need help, like getting a coach that can help guide you in all of these things can just make your journey that much easier. Yeah. And again, there are also so many free resources here too, like podcasts Mm -hmm. and books and Instagrams. And just, I think you start there, it's like you get comfortable. And then once you start dabbling in it yourself, then it's like, okay, well, I'm ready to receive help. And there's so many other resources and people out there to help you. But like, even, even with pain, I know we were talking a little bit about that. And I've experienced that it, we're so programmed to just be like, well, you go to the gynecologist and you say, oh, I'm struggling with this pain or I think this is happening. I have really heavy bleeding. And it's just, well, let's get on the pill. And we just don't understand. We don't have the knowledge to know that it could be an underlying underlying hormonal thing or there's, there's maybe something we can do. Like it's just, it's more about feeling connected to the body as opposed to like, this is our body. We just, we're just so disconnected from it until we start broadening our awareness. Yeah, exactly. And I know like a lot of the times, so when you do go to the doctor, right? And they're like, okay, let's just do birth control. And so 
I was on birth control from the time I was 14 because they're like, oh, she started her period, put her on the pill, just make it easier. Yeah. You know, and like, you don't realize that when you do come off, or I've experienced this with some of my clients, right? Like they come off birth control and they're so ready to get pregnant. And it just takes a little bit, a while, right? Because your body has to almost relearn how to ovulate and relearn how to do its natural functions because it's been hushed for X amount of years while you were on the pill. So is there anything that you would recommend like during that time? I mean, I guess we kind of talked about that a little bit. Like what um, foods, I guess, would you recommend? Well, actually the first thing I would say is stress is going to play a much larger role than food because when our body is under any sort of stress, it's not going to feel comfortable ovulating. And I think a lot of women expect like, oh, I got my period around this time when I was on the pill. And then when it doesn't come back around that time, which remember, and I'm sure that I'm sure you've mentioned this before too, like that was always just a breakthrough bleed. Like that wasn't a real period. So we're waiting for the body to ovulate again. So don't stress if it doesn't come back right away. Um, but I would also, you know, don't check in with yourself. Like, are you eating enough? And are you exercising to, are you exercising at a place that is not overstressing your body? Because I will see under eating too much cardio, like way too much, like overstressing the body, not sleeping enough. And those are really the factors that are going to keep delaying ovulation. So when it comes to food, I mean, just basically, are you eating enough? And also, are you eating enough proteins, fats, and are you not doing low carb? (laughs) Like, those are the three things I always check in. Are we eating enough protein? Are we eating enough fat? And are you afraid of carbs? Because if you are, that's also going to stress your body out. So those those basics. Yes. Let's talk about low carb and intermittent fasting. (laughs) Yeah. I hate it. I know. I hate it. How terrible it is for women's hormones. Like, no, 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 no low carb, like keto was made for children with epilepsy, right? And intermittent fasting has been researched on men only. Like Mm -hmm. we were saying earlier, we have cyclical bodies. It just doesn't work the same for us. Exactly. Yeah. There has, I don't know if there has been any recent studies on keto for women, but from the, the last that I've heard, it's been only studied on men, which is not helpful for us. And our body actually thrives thrives off of carbohydrates. Like we get our energy from carbs and fruits and, you know, even in forms of dairy and complex carbs, um, like rice and sweet potatoes and all of those things. And so why are we so afraid of it? You know, we think it's, it's because it's tied to diet culture. We're afraid it's going to make us gain weight. That's really what it comes down to. But a lot of women are walking around feeling tired and sluggish their metabolisms are so slow. They just, they're not functioning optimally. And it's because they're not eating enough. And they're also trying to run off of, uh, I mean, I know you can run off of fat, but again, I don't think it's optimal for all women's bodies to do that. So like add in some carbs and feel way better. Your, your cycle is going to thank you. We actually need like those carbs, right? To like for hormone production and things like that. Yeah. Body can't it doesn't function off of fat only, even though like your body can convert those into ketones or whatever and like use it however keto works. Right. But women's bodies, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Those carbs, we need all of that stuff for our bodies to function optimally. I mean, the research has showed us that restriction is not beneficial at all in any sense. So if you are feeling restricted, then you're, you're causing harm to your body. And what's the point? Like that, that's my thing. And it really comes back to, it's usually weight loss. Um, 
And from what I found and what the research is saying is when we don't focus on weight loss, when we're not in a restrictive mindset, when we're not into this whole diet culture mentality, our body finds its natural set point weight. And if you think about it, when your body isn't stressed all the time, it's not going to be holding on to if there is any unnecessary weight that you even need to get rid of. But I just think that if you can start to separate this, like, well, why am I actually doing this? Like, why am I going low carb? Why am I restricting? And if it comes back to the way that you look, think about, is it actually serving my body and my energy levels and my hormones? You know, what's more important? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if, if the goal is true health, right, not Mm -hmm. like physique or whatever, like actually choosing and eating foods that are going to support your health in the long term is what you need to be doing, not restricting so you can fit into a smaller gene size, you know, like that's not, that doesn't actually matter in the big scheme of things. Yeah. And when did we decide that weight or yeah, health equals our weight or what we look like equals health? How many women's stories have you heard where they have bounced back from over-exercising and restrictive eating and when they were in that place, they were losing their hair, they had amenorrhea. I mean, your, your biggest sign of health, one of them is your period. So how's that working out for you? And then take a step back and, and then look at the other factors. Yeah, exactly. And I know um, that wonderful book you've already mentioned, The Fifth Vital Sign, like our periods are our fifth vital sign, right? Yep. They're different than men. Um, so let's kind of talk about period health then. What is like optimal period? Like what is it supposed to be looking like? So a typical period minimum is three days and maximum is seven days. But it falls, the average period falls somewhere in the middle. So between three and seven days, if you're in that range, then you're probably doing a good job. I would say if you're consistently only having three-day periods, that is on the shorter end. And if you're consistently having seven-plus-day periods, that's definitely on the longer end. But if that happens occasionally, there's nothing to worry about. Um, You want to have a medium and a heavy day. So that's another misconception, I think, too, is like if you do have a heavy period, a heavy day of your period, that's actually healthy. Like we want to see that. And it should sort of ramp up. Like we have a light, medium, a heavy day, and then it tapers off. Even a little spotting before your period is normal. um, And a little spotting after your period is normal. Like personally, I was spotting pretty much like after ovulation. So I was spotting for like five plus days. That isn't normal. You know, that's a progesterone thing. But in general, if it's like a day or two of a little bit of spotting after before, you're totally fine. Um, I have a document, so I'm trying to remember. I think I think I'm giving these numbers right. If you are going between about seven to twelve tampons a cycle, that's sort of the range of bleeding that we want, and that's a regular tampon. So that's about five milligrams per tampon. So if you kind of add that up, like five or seven to twelve regular size tampons per cycle, and then kind of do your conversion if you're using a menstrual cup. I think a menstrual cup's like thirty milligrams per cup or something like that. But that can kind of give you a gauge. Well, what is a normal length and flow of bleeding? Um, I should probably I should probably do a post on that. I think I might have one on my Instagram somewhere. But yeah, I'll share it to my story as well. Um, beautiful. And I know it should be like cherry red, not like too dark, not too light. 
Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. So if it's light pink, we know that there's some sort of like estrogen deficiency going on. We don't want it to be super dark, purple, heavy, clotted. Um, A little bit of clotting also can be normal, but I think it's if it's larger than a quarter, like that is not normal at that point. Yes, exactly. Like over the course of your period. But yeah, you want it to be like a nice cranberry red. And another thing I've noticed some women get confused about that first day of your cycle is true red bleeding. So you never count any of the brown or light spotting beforehand. It's the one day that you get that true red blood. That's day one of your period. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Cause I mean, that would be confusing if you didn't actually know that. Right. And so then some women start with spotting and then they think, oh my gosh, I have this super long, crazy cycle. Week long, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you get off and you're tracking. So no. <laughs> um, okay. So let's kind of talk about period products a little bit. Have you, cause I like the, the menstrual disc. That's what I'm, I'm a huge fan of it because it doesn't actually sit in your vaginal canal, right? And so I know for me and a lot of other women with endometriosis, like having that in the vaginal canal is really irritating. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like the disc because it goes up in the fornix. So it's like away from, it's not in the vaginal canal, right? You can have sex with this thing in. Um, and it just, it works so much better for me personally. Um, what is your favorite method? This is what's funny is before I got pregnant, I was experimenting with the menstrual cup. Mm-hmm. And I tried it out like a few different times and I was trying different ones. Like I bought flex, I bought, what's the other, uh, the salt cup, two different types of salt cup. I just couldn't find a cozy one for me and I got it stuck. <laughs> like yeah. it was wild. I had to have like my husband come and help me get it out. Like I could not, I don't know what, I just could not get it out. Like, um, yeah. What was that? Did it like suction in there? I don't, yeah. And like, I couldn't reach it. Uh, I just couldn't get to it. And I was trying everything. I was like squatting in the shower. I was on the toilet. I was like putting one leg up on a counter, trying to relax. It was like, I was giving birth to the menstrual, menstrual cup. Like I could not, (laughs) yeah, I could not get it out. And I'm not trying to scare anyone because it will eventually come out. Like it can't get stuck up there. But, um, I was really struggling with it and I ended up getting pregnant like a month later. So I haven't, I was just a tampon girl for my entire cycle, but I do plan on going back and giving the menstrual cup a try. I do not know much about the disc. So I don't know if you can intrigue me on using the disc. The discs are phenomenal just because, I mean, they don't get stuff out there, number one. (laughs) So they open up and they sit under the cervix then, obviously. I'm going to like try to explain this to you. Okay. So like your vagina is a tube, right? And your cervix is kind of like a dome at the top. And so it's, they're really like, actually I have one right here. They're like kind of big. They look kind of big, right? Yeah. Um, right. But you just squeeze it and push it up there and it hooks down below, like around the dome of your cervix and stuff there. Right. And so your entire vaginal canal is open. Um, and every time you go to the bathroom, right, your pelvic tilts and you can kind of like open it up and let up all the blood fall out. So you, so you just like up. stick your finger in there and bend it down a little bit and it, so you can wear them for 12 hours at a time. So you only use two a day. Right. And they also have, um, reusable ones like the cup. Uh, but then they're not in your vaginal canal, which I, is just, I don't know. It was like a big, way more comfortable. Yeah. It was not something that I could tolerate. Um, how much does one disc hold? Do you know? Um, I'm sure I could look it up. I, don't I have bet you. Off my head. I bet you would be around 15 milligrams or something if it if you wear it every 12 hours. I'm just curious. I have, I 
I can look it up too. But I maybe I'll try that. I I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'm not skeptical. I shouldn't be. I'm like in this world. It's just, I think when I got the cup up there, I was like, ah, what if I can't get it back out? But I was looking up barrier methods for fertility awareness the other day. And so I was looking up the cervical cap, the diaphragm, the sponge, the female condom. And I just, I think I have like PTSD from the menstrual cuff. Like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know how I can put all those things up there and get them back out. (laughs) Um, it's, I don't know. I just like it so much. So I just Googled it. It says that they can hold up to three super tampons worth of menstrual fluid. Okay. Yeah. That's sweet. I might, I might give it a go after I, whenever I get my period back after this baby. You should. I'm going to um, try the reusable one. And so I'll keep you updated on that. Cause right now I just use the, the flex and soft disc, right? Yeah. Um, but there it's been life changing for me and like my husband and I have had sex with it in and like he has no idea (laughs) that's amazing you had that in I had no clue you know and it's just I don't know well that's the same thing as these other forms of barrier methods on fertility awareness when you have a um a cervical cap up there or a diaphragm it's the exact same idea so I don't know I'm really curious I'm intrigued you've intrigued me yeah, go watch. There's like YouTube videos like from the owner of Flex. Um, mm-hmm. and she has like a little diagram. She shows you how it goes in and how it fits in there. And it looks terrifying because you're like, how does that get in there? But um, then it does. But then it does. <laughs> yeah, and it and opens yeah, up. And it does it. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, but I know um, a lot of people also really like those period underwear. Have you ever... I've not tried them. No. And I have a client that uses it and she loves it. And she, yeah. And you just wash it and reuse it. And that seems really great. I think it's funny that I haven't tried some of those methods, you know, like doing this work. I think like I tried the menstrual cup. I haven't tried the disc and I haven't tried the period, the period panties or underwear, whatever you call them. Have you tried them? Um, I have not. No, because I was never really a fan of like pads. I yeah, guess. me either. Yeah. Um, and so I was always worried that it would feel like that. And me I too. Underwear. So <laughs> I, I don't like underwear either. <laughs> I don't own any. I, well, I have like five pairs that I just like move around with me places that I yeah. never wear. <laughs> I mean, if you wear yoga pants all the time, I also, I don't really like wearing underwear with them. But when I wear jeans, I do wear underwear because I feel like it's uncomfortable. Um, I think it depends on the the jeans. Really? Okay. (laughs) I was going to say, being pregnant, I've worn underwear a lot more, but that's for like various other reasons. But going back to the period underwear, I think I wouldn't want to also wash it, which is totally a mind game for me as well, where I just like even um, going back to pregnancy for a moment, I have friends that are using reusable diapers. And a part of me is like, I get why this is good for the environment. I totally am on board. I understand their, you know, organic cotton and all of that wonderful stuff. It just seems like a process for me. So if anyone listening wants to convince me to also try period underwear, um, I'm down. Like, I'm ready. I'm trying to find somebody to come on the podcast and talk about it, actually. (laughs) You should bring, like, one of the founders of one of the brands or something like that. I've reached out a couple times, but I'll have to keep poking at them. (laughs) Um, Well, this was amazing. So is there anything else that you want to share about like fertility awareness method, coming off birth control, like natural birth control methods, hormones in general? I am just a huge, huge advocate of fertility awareness method. And 
I, you know, I had someone DM me just recently and they were saying, you know, I'm not happy with the pill or the IUD, but I'm thinking about getting the Paragard, which is the non-hormonal copper IUD. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your opinion? And I'm like, you know, that also, it's totally up to you. Like it's, it's completely your choice, whatever you want to do. But even with the copper IUD, it can cause inflammation and it can cause pain and people get heavier periods, especially if you deal with endometriosis too. Um, Some people's bodies like expel it. Like they just don't want it up there and in there. So I always say if your intuition is telling you to try a different method, if you're feeling like you're just wanting to connect with your hormone, your natural hormones, you're ready to learn this, that you should listen to it and it's not as scary as it sounds. Um, Not only is it a great way to prevent pregnancy or achieve it, but you're also becoming connected to your body. And that is, to me, I feel like almost overshadows everything else because your mind is blown. You're like, wow, this is exactly what the four phases of my cycle look like, feel like you can use that to your advantage emotionally, spiritually, like so many cool things happen when you can just connect to that natural four phases of the cycle. So I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously biased because I love fertility awareness method, but I also truly believe that everyone needs to choose the best birth control option for them. So open to whatever anyone wants to do. Yeah, always. And I mean, it is your body, your choice, right? But yeah. I'm a big proponent of just making sure you're informed of exactly. everything that you're putting in your body and like informed consent, even if you are going on a medication, right? Like I feel like most doctors just pushing these medications without actually telling women what they're doing to their bodies, right? I I feel like that's like a form of informed or informed consent, right? Like they're not Definitely. informing their their client, basically their patient of everything that could be happening with their body while on this medication, you know, and I'm not to scare anybody, right? It's Yeah, but you have to be your own health advocate. Yeah. You have to be, and that's going to follow you throughout the rest of your life too. I, If you choose to want to become pregnant one day, you're going to also have to have these things in mind too and know, you know, what questions to ask your doctor. It's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay to push back. It's okay to do something different. Um, but we don't, we just don't know that. We don't think that we have the authority to ask questions or push back. And I'm, I'm letting you know that you do. And it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me, honestly, this whole journey, just deciding to not go the conventional route and doing my own thing. And you know, I feel like I'm a pretty balanced person. I go both ways. You know, I'm not against conventional ways of doing things and I'm totally not about all of the alternative ways of doing things. So you just find the balance that works for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think I love that you said that because that's kind of what I I help my clients with as well, right? Because it is your body, your choice. And you can think of it as like your doctors, your client, like you're taking them on if you don't like them and you don't like their treatment plan option, like you don't have to work with them. You can work with somebody else, you know, yeah. it's not your only option. 100%. Well, this was beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on Nina. You're amazing. Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at nursed with Nina. I also have a podcast called healing hormones, which you've been on. So we could link to that episode if you want. It was a really good conversation. Those are really the two main places. And you can find information about me at nursedwithnina.com. Perfect. And I'll link everything below. So you guys listening, you can go find Nina and become obsessed with her as well. Well, thanks so much for having me. You're awesome. And it's been, I could talk to you about this kind of stuff for hours. 
I know me too. <laughs> we really like need to do another podcast probably. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'll chat with you soon. Bye. Bye. Uh, I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. And if you're new to this, welcome to the Endometriosis Empowerment Series for Endo Awareness Month 2021. All month, I'm going to be posting two trainings per week throughout the month of March in my podcast, on my YouTube, and in my Facebook group. If you're not in the Facebook group, you can click the button below this podcast episode to join and get connected with other people in the group that are also doing the series and who are on a similar healing journey as you. So throughout the month, I'm going to be posting trainings from top experts in areas such as excision surgery, hormones, fertility, energy healing, and so many more to help you feel more empowered in your healing journey with endometriosis. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, babe. Oh, babe, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and take me. I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endo babes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endo Babe Podcast.